You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. All right, well, today we're wrapping up our series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Summer Break. Let me start by asking you a question, okay? We're gonna have an honest moment in church. I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, but let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever met someone and you judged them by their appearance at first and later on you found out like they were totally different than what you thought? Has that ever happened to you? I think that's happened to all of us. We've all heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, but let's be honest. I think we've all done that before. I know I have. In fact, I've got a friend uh, named Joe who uh, we both coached our sons in basketball together this past year. And Joe is like 285 pounds. He's this huge guy and he's like pure muscle. Like this dude is like walking muscle. Like when he walks towards you, like the ground shakes, okay? Like this dude is intimidating. Like when you look at him, he just looks like this like really mean guy who could like rip your head off. But actually turns out as I made friends with him, he's like a teddy bear. He's a total, like, gentle giant, completely different than what I thought. In fact, we were playing basketball together one time, and uh, I rotated over to block him. We both went up, and his 285 met my 180, and he put me flat on my back. Now, I made the block. I'm just saying, got to give a little respect to your pastor. I made the block, okay? (laughs) But he, he was texting me the next day, like, checking up on me, making sure I was okay. Like, the guy is a total teddy bear. Like, nothing like what he looks like when you first see him. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the way we see people. Sometimes the judgments that we make about people based on their appearance, the way we see them. So we're in the final week of this series called Summer Break, and we've been breaking up with bad theology. And uh, we've been looking at different phrases each week that Christians often say. They mean well when they say these things, but phrases that you've heard before, phrases like God won't give you more than you can handle, phrases like everything happens for a reason, phrases like God helps those who help themselves. And when people say these things, oftentimes when Christians say these things, they mean well, but many of these phrases, they're half-truths that can lead to wrong ideas about God, what he's like and how he wants us to live in this world. And so we're going to tackle a phrase today. We're going to talk about this phrase. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Have you heard that one before? <laughs> hate, hate the sin, love the sinner. Now this sounds biblical, right? After all, we can, we can love people while not approving of their sinfulness or approving of their bad choices or their sinful lifestyle. I mean, after all, I think we, we see Jesus doing that in the gospels. For example, I think about the famous story uh, of the woman caught in adultery, right? There was this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, bring her to Jesus and they're ready to condemn her. Like according to Old Testament law, they could have stoned her to death, like executed her. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And one by one, they walk away. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. But what does he also say to this woman? He says, go and sin no more. He loves her, but he doesn't condone her lifestyle, right, her sin. And I think many Christians who use this phrase, they mean well. They're genuinely trying to express love toward someone else while not approving of maybe their sinful choices and lifestyle. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus never taught us this phrase. There's no biblical writer who ever taught us the phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. And why is that? The question is, why is that? Well, I think there's one problem with this phrase. 
And it's the sentiment behind it that unintentionally or maybe even intentionally intentionally places distance between us and, and other people. It categorizes certain people as sinners when newsflash, we're all sinners. Come on, how many of you have read the Bible? It says we've all sinned, right? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's one thing we all have in common, whether it's your first time here or you've been here for many years, we are all sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, the person on your left and right, hello, nudge them, they're a sinner. We're all being saved by the grace of God. But that's one thing that we all have in common and that we're all sinners. And I think what many people mean when they, they say this phrase, what they really mean is hate the particular sin that they don't like. Like there's, there's certain sins that, that I don't like. And so I'm gonna end up judging you because you sin differently than me. Isn't it so easy to disdain the way other people sin differently than the way we do? And so Jesus never said this because I think Jesus knew this. Very few people get judged into life change. Far more people get loved into life change. Are you with me this morning? Anybody in the house today, you got judged into life change. How many of you are thankful today for the grace and the love and the mercy? Oh, I know it's the first service, but I wish somebody would help me preach this morning. I wish the caffeine would kick in and somebody would say, I'm thankful for the grace of God in my life. Thankful for the grace of God. I never got judged into life changed. I never got judged in become, into becoming more like Jesus. No, it was, it's the love of God that won me over and changed my heart. Now, Jesus never said this, but someone famous actually did say this. Mahatma Gandhi said something very similar in 1929 in his biography. He said, hate the sin and not the sinner. But Gandhi's full statement actually hits a little bit different when you read it. Here's what he said. Hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept which, though easy enough to understand, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads in this world. See, Gandhi made a wise observation. He rightly observed that if we attempt to see people as sinners first and to hate their sin while trying to love them, it doesn't work so well. In fact, it's probably nearly impossible to see someone, to recognize someone first as a sinner without developing some level of judgment, even disdain toward that person. And so if Jesus didn't say this, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus teach us about this topic? Well, I want us to look at a famous portion of scripture where Jesus talks about this whole concept of judging. You'll probably recognize it. It comes from Matthew chapter seven, verses one through five. Let's look at this. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about this topic. Here's what Jesus taught. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? This is a, an analogy Jesus gives, okay? A little hyperbole, a little exaggeration here. Verse four, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Wow, right? Mic drop after Jesus says this. 
So Jesus is talking about this whole idea of judging in this passage, and obviously he's using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration, right? He says when you judge people, it's like you're trying to take a little speck of sawdust out of their eye, but you're walking around with a two-by-four sticking out of your eye. Why don't you take care of that first so you can see clearly before you try to help somebody else, right? makes a really powerful point, like we get it. Let me make a few observations here, all right, about judging others from this passage. Maybe you want to put these in your notes today. Here's the first observation, number one. Do not judge does not mean do not use moral discernment. Let me say that to you again. When Jesus says do not judge, before we get too excited about this passage, let me make sure you understand what he means. Do not judge does not mean do not use moral discernment. Like we should call sin what it is, sin. Are you with me? Like racism is sin. Sexual immorality is sin. Greed is sin. Unforgiveness is is sin, right? Like we should call sin what's sin. Don't start calling what's wrong right and what's right wrong. We should keep that straight. We all make moral judgments. How many of you, if we were talking about a, a child abuser, would say, well, we shouldn't judge a pedophile, pastor? Like, no, we all know clearly that child abuse is sin. You feel pretty good, right? Pretty confident to make that moral judgment. And I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people get this judging issue wrong. In fact, even many Christians get this whole judging issue wrong when they say things like, don't judge me, or you shouldn't judge that person. The Bible says don't judge people. I think when a lot of people say don't judge me, what they really mean is I can do whatever I want because I set my own standard of what's right and wrong for my life. That's what a lot of people mean when they say don't judge me, even Christians. For example, a few years ago, There was actually a married man in in our church who was having an affair, and he was essentially convinced that it was God's will for him to have an affair. And he wanted me to be convinced that it was God's will. And I'm like, no, no, bro, that may be your will, but that's not God's will. Don't get those two confused. I'm not about to start calling what's wrong right and what's right wrong, okay? The will of God is found in the word of God. So if you want to know the will of God, like he's not going to ask you to do something that doesn't line up with the word of God. Are you with me this morning? Okay, so we're called to make moral judgments, moral, we're called to have moral discernment as followers of Jesus Christ. So if that's not what Jesus is talking about, what is Jesus talking about? Well, when Jesus talks about to judge here, in this context, it means to judge someone in the spirit of self-righteousness. In the spirit of self-righteousness so that I act as if I have no sin, I minimize my sin, I'm blind to my sin, I'm not conscious of my sin, and I appoint myself as a moral judge over you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. (laughs) That you become a self-appointed judge, the moral judge of the universe, where hello, the universe already has a moral judge and he's doing a pretty good job. That's what Jesus is talking about here, okay? And some of you have experienced this kind of judgment before in a church and maybe you got hurt you know, maybe there was a leader or a fellow uh, Christians, uh, follow, you know, a fellow, a fellow follower of Jesus in, in church that you went to somewhere that, that hurt you in this way. And I want to say I'm sorry. I want to say I'm sorry that if you've experienced that somewhere, you know, the problem with the church is that it's made up of human beings like you and me, imperfect people who get this wrong sometimes. And so this is not what Jesus wants for us to judge others in a spirit of self-righteousness. Number two Here's the second observation, just a few observations from this passage. Number two, you will be judged according to the way you judge others. Jesus says you'll be judged 
according to the way you judge others. Look at verse two again. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Another like word picture here, right? Like with the measure that you use, I think about like measuring cups, measuring spoons. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says, if you're stingy with the grace, <laughs> if you hold on, on, on uh, others with, with grace, like there's not gonna be much given back to you. Now, I've used this analogy before. I didn't bring my props today, but I've used this analogy in teaching about relationships that what happens is when we think about what God has done for us, he's shoveled out grace over our lives. Come on, he went to the cross and his mercies are made new every day. And so like when we think about how much grace has God given to us, he shovels it out on us, right? His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. We've received it by the shovel load. But what do we do with other people when they hurt us, sin against us, offend us? We break out the spoon and we start sprinkling it to people and dispensing it. Yeah, I've got grace for you. I've got forgiveness, a little, little grace here, a little forgiveness here. Right? We just start spooning it out when God has shoveled it out on us. What Jesus is really saying here is that what you give to others in terms of grace and forgiveness, it reveals what you got in the first place from God. It reveals what you really got. How many of you know you can only give to others what you got in the first place? I have learned that in leading and loving and pastoring. I can only give to you what I've received from myself. I can, I've only got enough grace to give to you that I've received from God. If my grace tank isn't full, are you with me? If I'm running low, if I'm running on fumes when it comes to grace, I'm not gonna have much to give you. It, it, so I think this is what he's saying. Jesus is saying that true disciples have been impacted by the mercy of God. And because they've been impacted by the mercy of God, they're going to exhibit mercy toward others, not judgment. That's what he's talking about here. This, this reveals, right, how authentic you are in following Jesus. So actually, the people who are closest to Jesus should be the least judgmental in the spirit of self-righteousness, right? Because they should have a greater revelation of grace and mercy. The closer we get to Jesus, he's the embodiment of God's love and grace, and so we should have a greater sense of his, his, his mercy and grace to give to other people. I was at a pastor's conference a few months ago, and uh, Pastor Chris Hodges, who's a pastor of one of the largest churches in the country, Church of the Highlands, he was asked to share some of his thoughts about some of the recent scandals with high-profile you know, celebrity pastors who have fallen and some of these scandals that have rocked the church in the past year or two. And here's what he said. He said something that stuck with me that he was asked to share some thoughts on that. He said, I will show the kind of grace and mercy that I pray I never need. I will show, what's the first thing I'm gonna do? I'm not gonna condone people's sin, but I'm gonna show the kind of grace and mercy that I pray I never need. And see, there's something so humble in that, right? Because it's the recognition that apart from the grace of God, right? Like we can all mess up. We can all sin. You know, we all want people to show us grace when we mess up. Anybody with me? We like when people cut us slack. We like when people are understanding with us. We like when people extend grace to us. By the way, I'm just gonna let y'all in on a little bit of a secret. If you're new to our church, I'm a grace preacher, by the way. If you were looking for a church that's hellfire and brimstone and condemnation where you're gonna get beat up and leave here feeling like a low down dirty sinner every Sunday, you're in the wrong place. I'm a grace preacher, but I'm gonna let y'all in on a little secret, okay? Every now and then I might need some grace back from you. So if I have a bad day one day, which could happen, I know I'm a pastor, but I don't glow in the dark. If I have a bad day every now and then, right, I might remind you, please, could you forgive me? Could you have a little grace for your pastor? Because I've been shoveling out grace on you for years. Now, I know some of y'all are clapping, but you might forget one day because y'all hold me to a different standard. <laughs> 
Come on, we all want grace. Let's give it to each other. Amen? Here's the third observation, number three. Other people's faults tend to be glaringly obvious to us, but we tend to be blind to our own faults. <laughs> Are we preaching today? Come on, you came to church in the middle of summer. You could be on the beach somewhere. We're going to just preach Jesus all up in this place. Somebody might get set free today. Number three, other people's faults tend to be glaringly obvious, but we tend to be blind to our own faults. Has anybody discovered this? Okay, let me just talk to the married people for a moment. Come on, married people. Come on, married people. I mean, single people, I know you understand this, but married people need a moment to have healing in church this morning, right? Like, you live with a person long enough over time, and you begin to observe, you have all these little things about them that drive you crazy, right? Like, I know I married you for a reason. I know, like, I remember we got pictures on the wall. We have a wedding video somewhere. I know I stood up there and said all these amazing things about you on the day that we got married, right? I wrote these beautiful vows, but Lord have mercy. Why do you steal the covers off of me in the middle of the night, right? Some of y'all have, yeah, you have air conditioning wars. You're turning it up. They're turning it down, right? Some of y'all, like, you take out the garbage and you, f- you forget to put a garbage bag back in the garbage can. That's me. I'm confessing my sin today. It drives Amy crazy, but that drives me crazy when she clutters up closets. I open closets and I get claustrophobic. I'm like, woman, how much stuff can you put in one closet? We have these little things, right? Some of you, you can't stand, like, you can't stand the way your spouse drives, the way they eat, the way they breathe. Some of y'all are like, can you stop breathing like that? <laughs> right? We have all these little things about other people that drive us crazy. But here's the reality. You've got your own stuff and you're blind to it. Theirs is glaringly obvious, but we tend to be blind to our own faults. <laughs> and here's what Jesus said in verse three. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust, the little thing in your brother's eye, but you pay no attention to the plank, the two by four. You're walking around hitting all kinds of people with the plank sticking out of your own eye. So can we just all admit, okay? Because when we started this sermon, it was easy. Like, oh yeah, those people who judge people. Can we all admit that we all unfairly judge people now? (laughs) We all do, right? We all have a way of looking at other people's faults that are magnified to us while being blind and minimizing our own faults. So what do we do? Well, Jesus tells us the solution is to see clearly. Look at verse five. He said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, how do, we, how do we see people accurately? We have to see people the way Jesus saw people. And how did Jesus see people? Jesus saw people through the lens of love. Jesus saw people through the lens of love. Man, when Jesus saw that woman caught in the act of adultery, he didn't look at this woman and and, and sum up her whole life by this one sinful act. No, he looked at this woman who was made in the image of God. He saw a daughter of God. He saw her through the lens of love. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, the infamous tax collector who got rich, ripping people off, who was hated by everybody else, he looked inside of this guy and he saw someone who had redemptive potential, somebody who God loved. I think about the story where a sketchy woman came up and anointed Jesus' feet and his disciples were like, Jesus, you don't even know where that woman has been and what she's done. And Jesus didn't see a sinner. No, he looked at her through the eyes of love and he saw a worshiper. Come on, aren't you glad that Jesus looked past your faults and your sins and your brokenness and he saw you through the lens of love. That's how Jesus saw us. That's how he saw you and me. And so to see people clearly, we have to see them through the lens of love because love transforms the way we see people. 
we want to see people clearly, come on, if we want to see people the way Jesus sees people, we've got to see them through the lens of love because love transforms the way we see people. You know, I'm a, I, I, uh, some of you don't know this, but I'm wearing contact lenses right now because I'm blind as a bat. If I didn't have my contacts in, you'd be leading me around and I wouldn't be able to see anything. Now, if you were here in the early years of redemption, you will know that I used to wear glasses all the time because back when we started the church, I was trying to look sophisticated and smart and very pastoral. Now that I'm on the other side of 40, I ditched the glasses and I'm trying to look younger, okay? So I got my contacts in. On the back of my license, it says that I have a restriction. The restriction says corrective lenses. In other words, I am restricted from operating a motor vehicle without wearing some form of corrective lenses. I promise you, you would not want me operating a motor vehicle without corrective lenses. It would be really bad, right? But here's the idea. I am restricted by my uncorrected vision. I'm restricted by my uncorrected vision. And I think the same thing is true for you and me. Like God would look at you and say, I want to use you. I want to use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. I want to use you to show my love, to demonstrate my love. But so often we are restricted by our uncorrected vision. And Jesus says, I want you to remove the plank from your eye so that you can see people the way I see them. I want to correct your vision because I want to use your life. I don't want you being restricted by that. And so we've got to learn to see people the way Jesus sees them. Now, how do we do that? How do we see people clearly? It's a lot easier said than done. Well, Jesus gives us a standard. He gives us an ideal to, to measure this by, okay? And this is really a goal that we can only attain by the grace of God. It's one of those things that kind of keeps us grounded. We can keep going back to it. So if you need a measuring stick to know how you're doing with loving people and seeing people the way God sees them, I'm about to give it to you. So you might want to sit up and take notes right here, okay? Here it is. It's called the Great Commandment. It's called the Great Commandment. Let me set this up for you. There was a scribe, a religious leader, someone who studied the, the Old Testament, the laws, like this is all they did night and day. And they asked Jesus the million dollar question. Jesus, what's the most important commandment in the whole Bible? How many of you know we ought to thank that scribe, right? Like we should, okay, here's, here it is. We're getting the answer to the test, open book test. What a great question because Jesus gives us the answer. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. Jesus replied, he replied to the scribe and he quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He takes two scriptures together and he gives us the great commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. The gospel of Mark adds strength, right? Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then look at verse 39. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, I'm going to make it really simple for you. You can boil the whole thing down, all of the scriptures, the essence, the spirit of the scriptures, what it is to walk with God, to know God, to be someone who has a relationship with God. It comes down to this love God passionately with everything you have, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we are going to fail at that. How many of you know most days we're going to fail at that? We, we need the grace of God to live that out. That's why I said it becomes a measuring stick for us. This is something that we, by the grace of God, we want to attain. Now, Jesus interestingly uses the word neighbor. And we all know that the, the term neighbor, it, it's a term that, uh, that communicates closeness, right? Like if, the way we use the word neighbor, we tend to think about people in our neighborhood, people who live close to us. It's a term that brings people close. And I think in this sense, we can, we can say we're all neighbors sharing this world, right? Like Jesus was talking about all the people that you come into contact with, whoever's in your path, by the grace of God, love them as you love yourself. So Jesus teaches us to love your neighbor, not sinners, love your neighbor as yourself. 
But guess what you and me are? Guess what you are? You're a sinner being loved well. You're a sinner, right? Being saved, if you're a follower of Jesus, by the love of God. God is loving you into wholeness so that by his grace, you can be called a son, a daughter, right? A new creation in Christ Jesus, even a saint of God. Now, how many of you, even though you mess up, even though you sin, even though you fail, how many of you still love yourself? How many of you still feed yourself care for yourself, let yourself go on vacation, take yourself to the movies to watch Netflix. You take yourself shopping. Y'all aren't with me this morning. Are you tracking with me? We all still love ourselves, even though we sin. I give myself a lot of grace. Anybody with me? I shovel the grace on myself. Give me all the grace you got, Lord, right? We still love ourselves. And and guess who, guess what? We know our sins better than anybody else. And we still love ourselves. Jesus says, come on, you got to love your neighbor with the help of God. You can only do this with the help of God. Try doing this without the help of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you won't get very far. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, I think Jesus knew something that if, we, if he commanded his disciples to love sinners, then they would begin looking at other people more as sinners rather than as neighbors. I think if Jesus had said, I want you to love the sinner but hate the sin, Jesus knew we would begin to perceive people with the planks in our eyes as sinners rather than as neighbors. And that would inevitably lead to judgment, like that self-righteous form of judgment. But here's the beautiful thing. I think what Jesus is telling us is that love transforms sinners into neighbors. Love transforms the way we see people. Instead of distancing people from ourselves, love causes us to bring people close. Do you know that's what the Pharisees did? That's where they got it wrong. The Pharisees loved God. They loved the scriptures. They were passionate for the things of God, but they had held people at a distance. They saw people and all they saw was people's sinfulness. And so with all of their biblical knowledge, all of their knowledge of the scriptures, they couldn't affect and change people's lives the way Jesus did because Jesus, he was the son of God. He was the walking, living embodiment of holiness and purity and love, but he wasn't afraid to sit at the seat, to sit at the table with sinners. He got up close and he touched people. He saw them. He saw them and people felt seen. You know what it is to feel seen, right? Like Jesus, he sat with people. He looked them in the eye. He touched people and he changed people's lives. He had purity and proximity. And so instead of hate The sin, love the sinner. Why don't we try this? Love your neighbor as yourself because love transforms sinners into neighbors. Come on, love transforms people that we would hold at a distance, people who sin differently than us, people whose faults are glaringly obvious to us, often the people that we are attempting to love the most, whose faults are so obvious to us. What what love does is it transforms the way we see people. We see them through the lens of love and we pull them closer to us. And they become neighbors to us. What does it mean to to see someone as a neighbor? It means that we empathize. We empathize with them. We recognize that we have something in, in common with them. And part of being honest about what we have in common with other people, whether they're unchurched, whether they're not a follower of Jesus, they're a follower of another religion, whatever they believe, maybe even another believer, what it is is to recognize that we're all sinners. How many of you know that's true? Scripture says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short all fallen short of God's holy and righteous standard. And so to see others, other sinners like us, we might as well say other human beings, (laughs) 
To see them as neighbors is to empathize. It's to empathize with them. Now, one biblical commentator, as I was studying this passage, he calls this redemptive empathy. Somebody ought to write that down. Redemptive empathy. We ought to start practicing redemptive empathy, right? We can actually redeem other people when we empathize with them. And when I think about this, I think about the power of, of recovery groups, you know, like support groups, addiction groups, like something like AA. They, they create these really, they, they, I think they're so, so powerful because they create a place where redemptive empathy can happen. Because what happens when someone joins a, a support group? There's this safe space, right? There's this accountability. There's this sense of empathy that we're all here because we have something in common, you know, and people go around the circle. Can you imagine if somebody went to an AA meeting, you know, and they're sitting around the circle and the first person gets up and says, my name's Bill and I'm an alcoholic. Can you imagine somebody busting out? Oh my gosh, you're a drunk? (laughs) Like, what's wrong with you? Oh my God. Like, it would just destroy the whole atmosphere, right? Because the idea is like we're all around this circle Because we're empathizing with each other. We're all here to get real about what we have in common, our common flaws, our common addictions, our common brokenness. It's this redemptive empathy that actually helps people find the path of healing. And so can I just help you this morning, church? If you're here today and you came in, and I know this happens sometimes on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we come in on a Sunday morning and we're so mindful of our flaws. We're so mindful of, of the way we, we've sinned. I don't know about you, but I have days like that where you come into worship and you feel a little bit weighed down and a little bit distracted. Maybe you had a, a fight, an argument on the way to church on a Sunday morning. Maybe some of you were yelling at your kids on the way to church on a Sunday morning. I know that's never happened in the Ziegler household before. You come in here sometimes so weighed down by the temptation, like I've given into that thing one more time and maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online or you're here in person and somebody invited you to church and you're wondering like, is this a safe place for me? Because Pastor Jeremy, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew how bad I've messed this thing up, how much I feel like a sinner as I come into this place today, here's what I want to tell you today. You came in the right place. This is a safe place. We named the church Redemption for a reason. Come on, no perfect people need apply. This is one big fat recovery group. This is the support group for sinners. This is rehab for sinners. You're in the right place. <laughs> so let me go first. My name's Jeremy, and I'm a sinner but I'm in recovery. Come on, somebody. But I'm in recovery. I'm being saved by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, I haven't arrived, but I'm not who I used to be. His mercies are made new every day, every morning. I'm being transformed into a son, into a child. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I got a long ways to go, but every day, by the grace of God, I'm getting better. I'm in recovery. I'm in recovery. Are you with me today? Come on, that's every one of us. That's what makes, that's what brings us together. That's what we have in common. We're sinners being saved by the grace of God. This is not a church for people who have it all together. This is a church for people who are following Jesus and recognize our need for a Savior. I'm so thankful that Jesus looked past my sin. I'm so thankful that Jesus looked past my brokenness, the things that would disqualify me, and by his grace, I am what I am. And so because he's done that for me, I can do that for you. I can practice redemptive 
empathy and not only forgive you, not only see you differently, but I can call forth the potential in you. Come on, I can say your sin no longer defines you. Come on, your brokenness no longer defines you. Your past no longer defines you. Whatever you did this week that grieved the heart of God that you're carrying around that makes you feel heavy today, it no longer defines you because in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. By his grace, you're his son, you're his daughter, you're his child. Can you get this in your spirit today? We can call it forth in each other. We can call it forth in each other. This is what happens when we get off of our little moral judgment judgment seat and we come down and we get into each other's lives and we just see each other. And this may happen for you as you're in our life group in our church. This may happen for you as you serve on a team. This may happen to you as you make friends and you build relationships around here where we just begin to practice redemptive empathy. Go ahead, you can confess to me. I'll confess to you. I'll pray for you. Would you pray for me? I'll hold you accountable. Would you hold me accountable? Come on, would you remind me of who God's called me to be? Would you speak purpose over me? Hey, would you text me a scripture every now and then? I'm gonna text you a scripture every now and then because I wanna be reminded of who I am in Christ Jesus. Come on, let's start practicing redemptive empathy. I'm going to steal that and just tell everybody I came up with that. Redemptive empathy. Let's put it into practice. And so I want to pray for you this morning. Would you stand with me? And here's our prayer. Father, help us to see people through the lens of love. Come on, Jesus, help us to see people the way you see people, the way you saw us, the way you look past my brokenness, my sin, my past, my failures. Come on, we're asking him today, God, do a work in us. Lord, we recognize that we cannot love our neighbor as ourselves. That's something only you can do in us. And so we're inviting you. Come on, would you pray that with me? Just bow your head. Maybe you want to lift your hands in this place. Lord, today, we thank you, Jesus that you are a friend of sinners. We thank you that you didn't hold us at arm's length, but you got close to us. You came and you, you, you sat with us in our brokenness. You, you, look, you look past our sin. You loved us for who we are. And God, you loved us into who we could be. Your sons, your daughters, your children. And now, Jesus, we want to see people the way you see them. And so we're asking you to change our hearts We're asking you to help us to see people through the lens of love. God, to love our neighbor as ourself. To every person that that we meet to recognize we have probably more in common with them than anything that separates us and so that we begin to bring people closer. Pull them closer by your grace, oh God. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for the times that we've seen people the wrong way, the times that we've made judgments about people, the, the times that we've amplified what was broken in someone else but we minimize what was broken in us. God, forgive us. And now, Father, I want to pray for the person in this place today, the person who feels far away from you, the person who today feels very defined by their sin, their shame, their failures. They don't feel good enough today, but something in their heart would say, God, I want to know, I want to know you. I want to know your grace Pastor Jeremy, I want to know, I want to know the Jesus that you're talking about. Who, I want to know a, a God who would love me that way. If that's you, I believe right now there are some people in this room, some people watching online. There's something drawing you today, something that's awakening your heart today. We believe that is the, the gentle tug of a loving God who is drawing you to himself by his spirit, to his son, Jesus Christ. And today he invites you to place your faith in him, to simply say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. If that's you, just pray this pray with me. Jesus, I give you my yes. Come on, you can pray it under your breath. You can pray it for the first time, for the hundredth time. Jesus, I give you my yes. 
I receive your grace today. Pray this with me. I receive your love today. I receive your mercy today. Thank you that you pulled me close. And now I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. And I place my faith in you. I believe you are, pray this with me, I believe you are who you said you are, the Son of God, that you live for me, you died for my sins on the cross, and you resurrected to give me new life, and I place my faith in you. I follow you today. Father, I bless every person who prayed that prayer today. God, I thank you for your word that says your spirit testifies to our spirit that we're born again, sons and daughters, never the same, Father. We thank you for new life in Christ Jesus, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Could somebody put your hands together? Somebody give God some praise in this place. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.